0: Chewing. Sure. We're home. I bypassed the compressor.
1: You were the chosen
0: one! Something
1: truly special. Congratulations. <laughs> you are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am
2: no Jedi. <laughs>
1: The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. First, he's Morgan Elsbeth's hairstylist and confidant. It's... that True. True, that's you. Oh, oh, I was, okay. like, was like,
2: we let DeVore take that one, because her hair stylist, my goodness. I mean. Uh, you you overestimate my abilities greatly. <laughs> you overestimate my power. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't think that's quite how the line goes, but it is the same sentiment. Yeah, yeah, basically.
1: And speaking of the third of our trilogy, we have the man who could dismantle an HK droid armed with nothing but a Taylor Swift song. It's? <laughs> it's DeVore. Hello. I drew, I'm going to be honest with you. I tried to think of something on the level of DeVore's intro, but I just I didn't have it. I, I
2: only had one in me this time. You know what? He's got the uh, Space Swifties podcast anyway, so we'll let it go.
1: Yeah, it's I figured okay. it was more appropriate.
2: So, well, welcome everybody to
1: to the episode. Uh, we are here. We are going to be talking about Ahsoka episodes three and four. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. It will be a full uh, spoilers discussion. So if you have not watched it, be warned. But before we get to that. Uh, If you're new here, welcome. First of all, we're glad you're here. We love you uh, joining us. And uh, we want you over on our Patreon, helping us in our mission to put more Star Wars books into classrooms across the country. So if you want to just head over while you're listening to this to our website at clashingsabers.net. You can also find a place to nominate a teacher to send books to. uh, And you can find all of our our socials and everything and get connected with us. And uh, we thank you in advance for that. So let's go ahead and get into... To the episodes, um, because we've got so much to talk about uh, in these two episodes. So we're talking. Time to Fly, and Fallen Jedi, uh, episodes three and four, respectively. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to give these episodes a rating prior to our discussion and then reevaluate things afterwards. And we did this with episodes one and two. And in that same way, I'm going to leave it up to, to you guys if you want to rate these uh, episodes individually or in tandem. And... Uh, Drew, you, you threw us for a loop last time uh, with your ratings. <laughs> I don't think either was, uh, oh, of us no. was prepared. Uh, so I'm making you start this time. So we have longer to get through um, the pain and agony you're going to cause us when you give these a, a oh, terrible
2: rating. So go for you, it. You know me all too well. Um, gird your loins in that case, I suppose. Well, I'm going to do these ones individually because I feel like they are much more uh, distinct one from the other. Uh, so for episode three, time... Did you say it was Time to Fly? Is that the name of it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give that one a three out of five. It was good. Not great. Uh, and episode four, Fallen Jedi. Brandon, I'm very, very sorry, but this one gets a solid one from me. You're kidding me. No. No. I know. Okay, just, Just... We'll talk about it, but I haven't been this frustrated... <laughs> With an episode since whatever got me off of Bad Batch. Wow.
1: Okay. All right. All well, right. in the pantheon of things that I thought were going to happen, a one out of five on either of these episodes was not. I, it. Know,
2: I get it. Like I, I'm sure yours is going to be a, a 17 out of five. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. But I mean,
1: we'll, we can get to it right now. I'm giving Time to Fly a four out of five, and Fallen Jedi a five out of five. Right, uh, okay. And All right. we'll get more into this, but really the only reason that uh, Time to Fly isn't a 5 out of 5 for me is the space battle. But we'll talk about that a little bit more. But it's, it was, it was mm-hmm. very close.
0: So, Devor, what about you? How, how do you, how did these land for you? So, in this case, for these two episodes, actually my score individually for both of them is the same, which means that the score collectively is the same. And that is a 3.5 out of 5.
2: Interesting. So we are all
1: over the board tonight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this all is going right. to be a fun conversation then.
2: It's not called Agreeing Sabers, you know? So it is not.
1: Okay. No. We should make a shirt that just says like Agreeing Sabers with like the line through it. <laughs>
2: the red circle and the line. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: All right. So, Drew, my first question for you is what made Time to Fly the better of these two episodes for you?
2: Well, the time to fly I feel like was was fine. Um, it's a solid fine because the starfighters were probably an issue that kind of kept it from being great. It was very strange to have like this World War One fighter plane design. Um, it also brought back memories. Brandon, you may not remember this when we were, when I watched Rebels the first time, and we kind of talked through it several years ago now. And one of the things that stood out, anytime they had like space action and flying, they, the, whenever they had a shot of the pilot themselves, they would just slightly bob left and right within the cockpit. Like that was their motion for flying. And then when they would cut to the actual ships, you'd see them diving and dodging and we- making this, these elaborate acrobatic movements, which did not match up with what the pilots were actually performing within the cockpit. And that really struck me here as like very, very strange. So you kind of compare it to like, even like Empire Strikes Back has the best example of it when Han is flying the Falcon and he says, okay, we'll still outmaneuver him. And he throws his arms forward. And the next camera shot is the Falcon making the exact same movement. That doesn't occur in this show. It didn't occur in Rebels and it's not occurring here. So it's of a piece, but it's still kind of a little bit bothersome Um, I did like the hyperspace ring. I think that's a really cool idea. I like that they're taking kind of the prequel Jedi aspect and blowing it out to this massive thing. Uh, I guess the theory behind that is they're going to take it out to the second galaxy and grab whatever ship Thrawn has presumably still got that's flyable and bring it back with him i'm not really sure how that's gonna work i'm not really sure what the ultimate plan is with that thing but that's kind of the best i can surmise right now
1: at some point thrawn is on that ship because the the first clip we have of him in the trailers is the back of his head as he's walking into that main hold in the eye of scion so but
2: when he when he and ezra jumped with the Purgil, it was in like they were on board a Star Destroyer, were they not? Yeah, they were. Yeah. And there was this massive destruction of like... Because I remember there being glass flying around. So I want to feel like they're on like the bridge and the viewport was exploding.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, because the Purgle, like their tentacles or whatever were breaking through the bridge. Right,
2: right. Exactly. Doesn't seem like a space-worthy vessel to me. Could be wrong. And And so I'm not really sure how all that's going to work out. Maybe they're going to leave it behind, but I'm not really sure... If there's more to this ring than just being a massive hyperdrive engine conduit, essentially, so it was interesting enough that I was like, okay, I haven't seen anything like this in a while, but at the same time, it's like, okay, now we've got all these 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 repeat elements from from rebels that we're just we're, we are heavily heavily relying on in order to move this story forward um that's kind of like the main things that were both kind of positive and negative. It wasn't bad. You know, there's a nice little story through the entire episode. I understand what they're doing through the entire episode, but just the number of things it's like, okay, we've seen that. 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 And we've seen that. And we've seen that. that. What new do you have to show me?
1: Well, see, I think the newness comes around Sabine for me. And, and, that beginning training part uh, really that stood out fun. for me. It was that was great. Yeah, love and it, that. It showed a, a new kind of take on the same thing that we've gotten right. It's it's Obi Wan training Luke in the, the hold of the Millennium Falcon. Right. That's that's what the mm-hmm. scene is. But you've got somebody who can't wield the Force, who uh, is is we we we're not quite sure trying to learn to wield the Force or trying to yeah. live out the Jedi tenants in uh, in practice, even though she doesn't have the Force. Like I'm fascinated by that aspect of how they are possibly setting up a... I don't have a term for it beyond a new kind of Jedi, which is, to me, a very loaded term, because that's, you know, when we start talking, people bring in, like, gray Jedi and all that baloney. So... <laughs> I, I say that with like, you know, take it with a grain of salt kind of thing. But it does seem like we are are redefining the potential of what a Jedi could look like going forward, um, at least in some corner of the galaxy. And so it was fascinating for me to, to see a, a regular person, somebody without, you know, talents of the Force – going through that same training process that we've seen. You know, we saw it with uh, with Obi-Wan and, and Luke. We saw mm. it uh, in Tales of the Jedi when Ahsoka is is training to uh, in the circle of clones and she keeps getting knocked out and, you know, yeah, Anakin's going again, fair, again. That. You know, yeah. we, we get that in there. Um, so, like, there's all these repeat elements but in a new context there. So that just... That's the thing for me in episode three that took it from... A three to a four because when I just initially rated this when I was starting uh, my notes I had it as a three out of five and then I was like all right I'm gonna go through take you know notes on what happened I was like dang there was a lot in this training scene and just the character moments that really worked for me in that beginning half of the episode uh, that really lifted it
2: up for me Devore, so, what do you think what do, what do your notes have
0: I I think the main reason that I gave it the score that I did, or at least sort of like what brought it down, really does kind of go around all the space battle stuff. Mainly just because like something about whether the way it was like shot or the cinematography or what have you, is like it just lacked a certain kind of like tension to it or stakes. Like you didn't really feel that like, you know, whether it is if you think about like, the og dogfight like in a new hope when they're escaping the death star or even like fin and uh um Finn and ray on jakku like there, there there wasn't really that kind of like tension like oh are they gonna get him are they gonna get him like part of the fight like it seemed like it, it felt like you were watching the whole thing on like 0.75 speed like, It was just like a little slower than <laughs> what was actually happening <laughs> So I I do I did enjoy, you know, the other things, whether it was, you know, the brief scene that we got with Hera in the conference room and you see some of that that kind of New Republic politics stuff. Like some of that was kind of good and, you know, some of the dynamic of Sabine and Ahsoka. But, yeah, it was really just like the thing that was kind of weighing it down was some of that that space battle stuff.
2: It is interesting that the space battle didn't really feel like that active, right? Yeah. And how the ships keep coming. Evidently, Ahsoka's ship only has the one blaster, and it's in the rear of the ship, and none of the bad guys thought, maybe if I just stay in front of it, I won't get shot down, and clearly I can shoot the the, the ship down itself. It's like, I I just don't know that these guys... I I couldn't understand the conflict, like you were saying. Mm. (laughs) not really sure where we're trying to go. Although, I did kind of enjoy... Um, the Ahsoka going outside of the ship moment. Oh, that was so that cool. That was kind of
0: yeah. fun. Although, it
2: was funny that the, my wife was like, that's the most ridiculous looking spacesuit I've ever seen. I was like, man, if you only knew what happens in the rest of this series.
1: I'm just imagining there has to be a tailor or something that yes, perfectly exactly. fits her. Mu- like, there's a spacesuit yeah, exactly. tailor out there
2: she's got it like specifically like her like who just fit just it's it's perfectly like airtight and all. it's very very interesting to. Be and like, how annoying must around. it be
1: to get like all three of her mandrels in right. there perfect? She had
2: to get in and out of that thing like in the blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah,
1: she's practiced. How often
2: does she does this? You know,
1: <laughs> she she like times herself. Yeah, like, Ku yang has got records of of her scores. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: exactly, That was interesting. That was pretty neat. That was very Plocoon. Esque, you know, kind of like season one clone war something I would expect him to do.
1: It was. And, and I think it lasted just long enough to allow for the suspension of disbelief, um, that she could, you know, be out in the vacuum of space there that the, you know, the force would be able to guide her jump. Like it wasn't, I think if it had gone any longer, it would have been kind of been like, mm-hmm. she's you know OP. Ridiculous. Yeah. And so that, that I appreciated the, there are moments in that space fight that that I like, you know. For example, the the character development between the relationship of Ahsoka and Sabine, you know, that moment of Ahsoka saying, like, Sabine, tell me what you need and them starting to learn to communicate and stuff. Like I see the purpose there, but mm-hmm. there definitely is I, I think you guys said it perfectly, like it was on point seven five speed. And it, it was just it didn't feel like they were in space having the dogfight at the same time. It felt like this person was filmed and then that person was filmed and then this person was filmed yeah. and then that person was filmed. And so that was was bothersome for me, but I do have to say, you know, Drew you had brought up in episodes 1 and 2 how it kind of felt like they were filming in the volume. To me it didn't feel like that here. Like that space shot just felt so real and authentic um the ships felt very lifelike very just real even though all of that stuff is cgi uh <laughs> it's it's crazy the amount of cgi that is in this show because you know you've got Huyang, you've got the hk droids like all of these things that even just one looking kind of fake would throw you completely out of it and i, I just think it, it deserves recognition of how good the vfx artists have Done on this show, and particularly yeah. this episode, because they had a lot of weight to carry there.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's definitely for the for for the some, especially my favorite ones are the establishing shots of the, the New Republic fleet. They're just yeah. absolutely yeah. gorgeous to look at, and yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, I kind of wish that aesthetic would carry through to some of the, like the interior shots with the actual. Human characters. It's like that level of detail is clearly something we can get and do on a regular basis. Why does it feel so divorced from what we, when we actually see characters have to actually be on stage and talk to people? I'm not sure why we can't get both of those things together yet. So here's Maybe my question for we'll you, tell. Drew.
1: Because yes. you, you talked about, and well actually all of us brought up last time how Ahsoka felt kind of stiff and how it felt like uh, you brought up that they were filming at different times, you know, maybe it was a COVID restriction Mm -hmm. or something like that. For me in these episodes, especially when it came to Ahsoka, I finally felt like I got to see live action Ahsoka loosen up and she wasn't as stiff. Did you guys get that same feel or is it still kind of falling uh, flat for you?
2: For me, it, 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 95% of the time, it's still kind of the same thing, which makes sense because of how these things, these episodes are going to be filmed and put together. It's like filming a movie twice or three, you know, three times all at one in, in one series of months for these actors. So I, I wouldn't expect it to be terribly different between here, you know, from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. But there are, like you said, there are moments where it kind of breaks through. Like, um... When, she's, when Ahsoka's outside the spaceship and and she's radioing to uh, to Sabine, she's like, okay, now come get me. And you see her kind of pinwheeling through space. Like, that's a funny moment. Like, that was an interesting line of dialogue for her to say, like, just in, a, in this playful kind of, like, Yoda-esque way of like, okay, now I'm, I'm lost in the vacuum of space. It'd be great if you could come pick me up. That was cool. That was very different from the rest of her stoic approach to things. But, I mean, she's still definitely, like, cryptic single sentences... Arms crossing, brow furrowed approach to everything is very prominent, even in these episodes.
0: I'm I'm still struggling with the portrayal. Like Drew said, like there are moments w- where it changes. Like I'm thinking, particularly like the scene between her and Huyang in the cockpit in episode three, where there's like a little where they're going a little bit back and forth about you know Sabine's prospect as a Padawan and all of that stuff like there's a little bit there where it kind of starts to break but I I still don't I maybe it's like maybe it's a me thing like I'm still struggling to kind of like fully embrace the character
1: yeah see I for me it just opened up like the moment I mentioned before about her um Saying Sabine, what do you need? Uh, being able to crack a joke, you know. We we really haven't seen her be humorous in live action. You know, like there's been maybe the most humorous line was like a Mandalorian and a Jedi. They'll never see it coming. But I don't even know if that qualifies. Like that's the closest I could think of. Um, so it, it felt more. It, it honestly felt like Rosario Dawson was finally comfortable with the character and maybe uh, some shackles were taken off, you know, Uh, like she just felt more comfortable in her own skin when I was watching it. So it worked better for me.
2: Hmm. I I think it, it does reflect on the character too, as she kind of falls back into a more solid relationship with Sabine where she realizes she can start to trust her again. Because clearly the trust is not flowing in either direction, but Sabine is definitely the one who's like, all right, I'm willing to give this a shot. That's kind of what episode two was about. And episode three is like, okay, I now see that you, Sabine, are putting the effort in to go through the training routine and do what you can and and use your faculties to try and make it through this. I can respect that and start to kind of reestablish my end of the relationship as well. So, I wonder if it will continue in a positive direction. Well, it might take some time. Yeah, <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> <sighs> Which we'll talk about soon, I'm sure. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the,
1: the relationship between Sabine and Ahsoka. Because episode three, for me, is all about reestablishing that relationship. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I, I like how they did it. Like It, it wasn't blatant and in-your-face um but it wasn't subtle like they it was very clear that's what this episode was about and other things i think were sacrificed in favor of that uh stuff we've already talked about but just there were moments throughout that the characters don't need to talk to each other they can just act and because these characters have a history together and the way that the actors play it it just fits together and it works and you you Feel the weight of that history. So for example, when Ahsoka and Sabine are talking about how she doesn't have the force and Ahsoka saying, you know, everybody has, you know, can touch the force or however she phrases it, but talent is a factor. And then she just moves the cup and takes a sip and then just walks away. And that's a little sign of like, start with something small. I'm going to leave and let you try it and fail and we'll go Mm -hmm. from there. Like. That, to me, was a nice little moment of Ahsoka going, I'm not going to put the pressure on you this time. I'm not going to try to get you somewhere too quickly or whatever um, happened before. Whereas we know Sabine, that's what she wants. She wants it to happen quickly. And so to me, that was like Ahsoka creating this space where Sabine, just try it. You know, Just, just give it a go and see what happens. And... I don't know if you did did either of you guys read um the heir to the jedi luke skywalker book that's from his first person point of view
2: yes oh i don't remember that
0: you would remember it drew
2: you would remember it
0: (laughs) oh no i don't know yeah you would remember yeah it's it's
1: (laughs) it's 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 a book um It's a book that was written, right? It has words on pages, but it reminds me very much of (laughs) there's a scene in there, Drew, where this is like Luke, you know, after A New Hope, trying to, to learn how to use the Force. And the big thing for him is like, you know, doing the, being able to pull stuff to him like we see in Empire. And so he tries doing it with a noodle. And like doesn't get it the first time, and then like later the noodle moves a little bit,
2: and I just oh, couldn't no. help
1: but think about the noodle that that little noodle. That he was just trying to move. That's Sabine right now. So oh dear. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Anyways, it, it, I don't think it was an intentional reference in any way, shape, or form. But I definitely was like, eh, I'm getting a little young Luke Padawan vibes, trying to figure it out, and. <laughs> It's interesting because, you know, Ahsoka didn't complete her training, you know, like in the most technical of terms, but she didn't complete her training very much how Kanan didn't complete his. And so these characters are trying to figure out how do you be teachers without the, the structure of the institution, you know, that oh,
2: that's interesting. most yeah. teachers rely
1: on, yeah. you know, like me as a teacher, if you had told me, you know, if you took me out of the school, I would still consider myself a teacher, but if you just said, teach this person okay, what, how, what are the parameters? What are, what's the you objectives? Know. You know, there's all these things that, uh, especially in a time now of, at, at this point of trying to prevent a war, but of, of conflict and consequence, that's gotta be challenging. And so I just liked getting to see some of that tension in their, both of their approaches to, to the training and how they're kind of trying to find a happy medium. So, Devor, for, for you, uh, what really stood out in that, that training portion and in the relationship development between Ahsoka and Sabine?
0: I think, I mean, let's talk about the thing that stood out, which is that we, di- our, we discovered Hu Yang has a general grievous configuration. Like, come on. like That's, that's the best true. part, obviously.
2: That's true. Ten out of ten.
0: Didn't he? Yeah, exactly. He had a bunch of arms in Clone Wars, didn't he? I think so, but I don't think we saw what they did,
1: or at least we didn't see that they do that. No, we didn't see that they do that. I remember a scene where he's like opening a whole bunch of drawers at the same time. What? Yeah. They're on the ship, and he's like searching for different pieces for their, the younglings' uh, lightsabers, and he has like six arms out or however many opening drawers. Go and look at it. People, the people listening know what mm. I'm talking about. That's all that matters.
2: <laughs> yeah, send me
1: all the pictures on Facebook. sorry, Devor continue. General Grievous is Hu Yang,
0: and such. yes, exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so I, I enjoyed that, of course, and I mean, I think you know I think maybe the the big kind of other standout was sort of what you were talking about, Brandon, a few minutes ago, which is that idea of you know ahsoka talking about. The notion of, well, the force resides in all people and like in all things. And, you know, I mean, that's going back to sort of like the 101 that you get all the way back to a new hope. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I think, you know, it's I mean, as you said, there is the question of like. Where might this go from the standpoint of like a different kind of Jedi philosophy or way of life? But there is at least the idea that like if we accept that as the Jedi teach that the force is something that, you know, surrounds us, penetrates, binds everyone and, and like everyone is part of the force and the force is part of everything, then it would stand to reason that, you know, the Jedi way of life is something that you can adopt even if you don't have, like, an actual, you know, ability to quote-unquote use it in the way that we conventionally understand it. Now, the question that remains is, and this is something that we might get into when we talk about episode four, because it's, I think, a... I think it's a general matter with the show of like leaving a lot of big question marks, uh, you know, around a lot of these characters is like, does Ahsoka in fact believe that Sabine is force sensitive and is just like hasn't gotten rid of the kind of requisite psychological barriers? Or is she trying to like chart this new path for the Jedi? The show is sort of ambiguous as to which one it is.
1: You know, that moment when she's talking with Hu Yang where she's just saying, you know, I need her to become herself. And it it almost is like she is not even really worried about her becoming a Jedi. She just knows that the Jedi training will get her to realize her best self, you know. And that's just a, a way to do it. So, for example, I had a kid one time was not on a very high reading level in fourth grade. He came in one day and had like a thousand page Abraham Lincoln biography. And he's like, look what I'm reading. I knew this kid couldn't read this. Right? So I set it up and I said, Hey, you know, this is awesome. I'm really excited. You're excited about this book. This might be a little challenging for you. So give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, let me know. We can find something else on Abraham Lincoln and then we'll work you up to eventually getting to that. And that's you know he he came to me later and goes, "Yeah, I can't read this." And <laughs> we got him another book and and it encouraged him to to take risks and try things reading, even though I, as the teacher, knew he was never going not never going to, but it, it, he was not ready to to handle something of that magnitude. And I wonder if it's the same with uh, with Sabine, if ahsoka is saying, I know she's not going to become a Jedi. She can't become a Jedi in, in the strictest sense of the terms. But by giving her this opportunity, it becomes an opportunity for growth and, and her to realize her fullest self. Now, what that means for Sabine and if, how Sabine feels about that, if she finds that out later on, is a very yeah. different question. But that might be the mindset behind what Ahsoka is doing if she's not actually trying to chart this new Jedi path proper, if you will
2: wasn't most of the like Sabine's arc through rebels about that but with the Mandalorian culture instead a
1: lot of it was yeah it was it was more coming to terms with her Mandalorian history and how that fit into the life she was living whereas here yeah. i feel like she's trying to figure out how to put the life she's living into being the jedi it's almost the reverse actually
2: yeah i'm just i'm just wondering like what would have why would she have started down this path and stopped it and now is picking it back up again? Like to me, the, the more interesting story is almost the story we're not going to get It's cause it's the years in between the two shows now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At
2: a certain point, she thought it was valuable to take on this training and Ahsoka thought it was as well. And we talked about this last time that we had this conversation it was like, there was a breaking of that relationship. And then there's this correlated despondency that Sabina, you know, kind of is wallowing in. I guess is what we're supposed to interpret by what she's up to in, in the first episode of this show. So it's just kind of like they're trying to build off of this change in relationship that we didn't get to be a part of, that we haven't gotten to see, and doesn't look super great that we're going to be getting that information anytime soon.
1: There's a line in the fourth episode where Balin is talking to Sabine and he says, your family died on Mandalore because your master didn't trust you. And I think that's, you know, you're talking about like what split them apart. Right now I'm thinking it was whatever happened there. But I thought that
2: was about Kanan. No. Because wasn't he the one who was teaching, him, teaching her how to really use the, the dark saber?
1: It was, but his family, or her family, is alive at the end of Rebels.
2: They so.
1: Are?
2: Yes. When, when is yeah. the Night of a Thousand-somethings? It's after. I just need a timeline. <laughs> yeah, I just no, I need agree. need a map. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think the Night of a Thousand Tears would take place, epilogue aside, because the epilogue screws with the whole timeline <laughs> of Rebels. Yeah. But in the it would be after what we see in rebels i sometime during the original trilogy proper oh, timeline really yeah
2: uh, so so the end of rebels is basically like there's it's pretty close to R- rogue one isn't it it's like yeah, kind of like a, it's, a standard galactic year yeah i think
0: so yeah nice. probably even a couple months probably a little bit short cuz i think it's the same year it's the same year i think so okay
1: so the way i kind of parse it out is that you know, the Empire saw this rebellion they were going to have to deal with, you know, growing and decided, all right, we're going to shut down Mandalore as a possible threat with the Night of a Thousand Tears. And...
2: <laughs> you think that's what they called it? Like, that was their project code name?
1: I mean, they did call it the Death Star and Star Destroyers, so I don't put it above them.
2: That de- de- We all know the Death Star had its own different name, but we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, we're not here for that.
1: But I think <laughs> then... Whatever happened with Sabine and Ahsoka, I'm imagining took place after Return of the Jedi. So that's how I'm working out. Because this would be somewhere between five and seven years after Return of the Jedi. Because it takes place somewhat in parallel with season three of Mandalorian.
2: so, So I forget where I was looking. But I do remember seeing that Mando season one and two are virtually back to back. Three is one year later. Book of Boba Fett is a year later. And then Ahsoka picks up after that. So you're looking at roughly eight years post Return of the Jedi.
1: There's definitely a lot that happened there. And I'm, I'm not in disagreement with you that we need that story. Like, we need a lot more d- details about that. I don't think we I just don't think we're going to get it. Uh, I'm holding out hope. <laughs> I'm not saying we're going to get it because. It's, it wouldn't be unlike Dave to go, eh, I'm just going to let him fill in the blanks. We're but going to talk
2: about that aspect in a little bit, too.
1: <laughs> yes, we will. Okay, Okay. well, let's save that for episode four, because there's a couple more things I want to talk about in episode three. Oh, my gosh, you loved this episode. I, I really enjoyed it. But, no, there's a, a, a big scene I want y'all's opinion on, which is the, the meeting with the senators um, that Hera has. One, because I just think, like, Hera's... Uh, the, the actress is just crushing it with her. Um, I've said that before. But we get uh, Senator Zioni, which, you know, is uh, Kaz's father from Resistance, which is just a cool little nod that you oh, don't need to know. Oh, that's
2: neat. Didn't know um, that. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's fun. Uh, Senator from <laughs> Hosnian Prime. So, you know, that always ends well. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys think he's working for Thrawn?
0: no i don't think so no so i he's just a dick <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> he kind of has that vibe
1: in resistance like the little i remember of him was that guy sucks so
2: is he still a senator at that point though in the resistance yes. era. yeah so you're talking about in another 23 years you think that he was secretly working for the big bad and they were just like nah it's cool you won well, the election, so you get to be
1: senator. Whether he got caught or not is a different thing, because we had oh. we had you know senators in Bloodline working you know with the Maxim warriors to help start the First Order. Like it's not the new republic is far has never been presented as like some kind of great thing in this new canon so That's true. Yeah. It hasn't been proven to be very effective at its jobs just yet.
2: And we, you know, have seen in the same show that there are imperial sympathizers working under the government payroll to begin with. Yeah. I suppose it's not impossible, but I don't think there's a lot of text nor subtext that would support it.
1: I just I I don't know if I believe it or even if I want it, but you know when you have the you have the character who's using politics to stop your hero, and it turns out they are actually working for the other side. It's just an easy trope. And so I didn't know if you guys thought maybe it would go in that direction or he just straight up sucks because he does. <laughs> no, nah, I think he's just kind of that way. But I do, I do love that line, and I think it speaks to a higher thing going on with the High Republic, that line Harris says where she's like, you just sat back and waited to see who came out on top. Yeah, I, that was cold. <laughs> I think there are yeah, a lot of people that, that did that. I love that. that. Rough. I love that. Yeah. And then we get Jason. That's it. No notes. We got Jason Sindula with his green hair. Also, he is wearing Did you guys see the pauldron on his shoulder? I did. Yeah. It's very oh, much no. like Kanan's. Is it really? It is. It's got the same design oh. and everything. Oh, cool. So, cool little nod to get Kanan into the into the show without uh him being in the show because, you know, well, you know,
2: um, right. Cause that stopped a lot of other characters from showing up later. Fair.
1: Uh, so let's get into that. Let's move on to, to episode four fallen Jedi. And I can't believe I'm going to do this, but drew go ahead. Okay, Tell us why off. this is the worst episode of Star Wars television know, ever.
2: Let's, let's, let's start off with some positives. First off, the pun in the title of the episode, 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. pretty good. Every single time. Love it. Let's do more of that, please. Um, other than that. <laughs> uh, man, where do you guys want to start? Um, do we want to start big or start small?
1: Let's start big and, and we'll work smaller.
2: I knew the World, of, world Between Worlds was coming up and I hated every single second of it. Do not want this at all, none of it. I don't want to see it, I don't want to have to talk about it again, I don't want to have to talk to people about time travel because it's not time travel. I don't want to see ghosts this way. I don't. I don't. I don't.
0: <laughs> I, I'm I, absolutely with you, Drew. Like I was watching. Like yes. I was. I, I was watching the episode, and I was you know thinking you know with a view to doing this recording. and I was thinking like how am I, how am I gonna rate it and so on. And I was kind of like th- there were different moments where I was like batting like back and forth between like three and a half and four. And then we got to world between worlds. I'm like oh three and a half yes. <laughs> locked in like yes
2: it's like he kneecapped that one right there. Yeah, I was just like I and you could see it coming a among- mile. Away, and I was like, "This is I, I don't approve of this. This is not the kind of thing I like for my Jedi. I don't want her. To, this is going to be Ahsoka's thing now. Is she's going to be this kind of weird time travel? Is she dead? Is she alive? Is this Lost Season Six kind of nonsense all over again? And just it's not interesting storytelling to me. Um, this is I like to call this one Ahsoka Ex Machina because it's just that same level of like, okay, now there are no rules." now she can get in here by accident she can is she unconscious we don't know is she was it a um like was it a purposeful act she took to travel to this place or was it accidental if it's an accidental did, is there just a portal at the end of this uh, like at the bottom of the cliffs is it under the sea did she drown it's the number of questions that the simple existence of the world between worlds raises is just unfathomably annoying to me because there's no need for it. There isn't anything we needed because of this. Like we, it was created in order to get Ahsoka back in Rebels to make sure that we knew that the character survived as if there was no other possible way we could have, I don't know, gone back and seen that scene from a different perspective and she escaped somehow. Like we've seen Star Wars characters get out of tighter scrapes than fighting Darth Vader before. So I just, I know that there are some people who don't care for the spiritual slash religious aspect of Star Wars. Like they're not into the the whole Jedi and Sith as sorcerers and wizards battling it out with magic powers. And I'm fine with that stuff, but this is too far. You know, like this far and no further. And I I just, I bump on it in every single direction. I, I don't even... Having Anakin show up at the end there, fine, whatever. Because at that point, there are no rules. Like you're just making stuff up and and you're not not beholden to anything else. And one of the most fun things about Star Wars is seeing what you can do differently within the same context set of rules. Like that's one of the reasons I was so excited before Book of Boba Fett came out because we all liked the character. We wanted to see him come back. The question was how, and it made sense because we knew the character was a walking war machine and he blasts his way out of the Sarlacc. Makes perfect sense. Plays within the rule, but it's still fun to watch. Same thing with the Mandalorian. You know, he plays within the same set of rules that were previously established. We know what a bounty hunter is and does. We fleshed out that world, we made it interesting, and we flipped the rules on their head because he gets attached to to the one thing he's not supposed to, the target of the hunt. Again, world between worlds, no rules. Whatever you want, just make it up as you go, and you don't have to explain nothing. You don't got to tie it to nothing. It just bothers the living daylights out of me.
1: So... I think there's some fallacies in that argument. One, (laughs) you're, I think you're making a lot of assumptions about what's going to happen with the world between worlds when it could end up just being that it allows Ahsoka and Anakin to have a conversation and that's it, which would not go outside of any of the pre-established rules of the world between worlds, because that's literally what Ezra and Ahsoka did in rebels. Right. And it became, it was a,
2: well, that's story. Part of what happened there, but not in the entire. Into- like
1: all that's it- happened in the world between worlds, other than Palpatine trying to break into it mm-hmm. and then running from the fire. Other than that, the only what? thing that's <laughs> happened in the world between worlds is conversations.
2: That's Com- like saying that the Death Star was a perfectly reasonable orbital station, except for that one incident at Alderaan. Okay.
1: No, but I'm <laughs> what I'm saying is there. That is, that is a, uh, like the second thing that happened. But other than that, everything else is conversations. Ezra and Yoda talking. Ahsoka and Ezra talking.
2: As- Ahsoka teleporting out from a cataclysmic explosion. You don't think that like, that's like... Uh, what are the rules for this? What is it for? What does it do? It does whatever the storyteller wants it to do. Doesn't everything in storytelling... No, absolutely not. Because part of the fun is establishing rules and then, and then breaking them. What are the rules for the world between worlds?
0: See, that's part of my – and I'm sort of like I'm, – I'm somewhat sympathetic to what Brandon is saying that like I'm at the moment right now where like with that little bit that we get at the end of the episode where I'm sort of in the position of like holding my breath and I'm like, well, depending on where it goes – It could go in a direction where I vibe with it, or the wheels could start coming off the bus. Like it could very easily go either way. But I think part of my frustration with this, and again, it's all very contingent on what happens in five, six, seven, and eight, and beyond. Like what exactly is happening here? Is that like, I feel like, and I, you know, I've always felt this, like even back when there was, you know, people were talking about the world between worlds, even in the Rebels context, pretty any of this is that like, I felt that if you watch the episode, like the world between worlds, the episode, I've always felt that it's very clear in that episode what it does and what it is not for. And now I feel like the door is cracking open for, like, oh, but like, mm. but what about this? You know, like, th- so that's my only thing where I'm like, that scene happened and I was, and I was like clutching, you know, like, Like, clutching the armrest, but, like, not in a great way. I'm like, oh, no. Like, what is potentially happening here?
1: I see, but I don't see what you guys are saying about it's opening up these new things. We've seen nothing in it yet. Like, literally, all we have is Ahsoka waking up there and Anakin saying hi. Like, that is it. That's a
2: pretty big deal because— How is it a big deal? He's a force
1: ghost at this time. Like, of course he'd be able to be in the world between worlds. Is
2: he—is he— because when you see him, you see him as Clone Wars cartoon Anakin. You do not see him as post-Vader life Anakin.
1: Well, one, I mean, they're one in the same, essentially, because mm. he, when he comes back as a Force ghost, he's young Anakin.
2: Two, no. they're, because in, in, when they comp him back in, Return of the Jedi, I'm fairly sure, fairly certain, I could be wrong about this, feel like he's got the facial scars. This Anakin in World Between Worlds has no facial scars. Yes, he does. No, he does not.
1: He has a scar right down his eye. Mm.
0: Judges, I would have to see a picture. I don't know off the top of my head. I like that. I'd have to find a screenshot. Judges, <laughs>
2: <laughs> sorry. No, but like. No, 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 it's actually what I was going for.
1: <laughs> like, I just, I think you guys are jumping to a lot of conclusions that it's breaking some pre-established rules that have never been, like. It, we we can't say it's done something that it hasn't done yet all that's happened is she woke up there she has the sister or excuse me the daughter of mortis like her life force in her so it doesn't if somebody is going to be able to end up in the world between worlds in a situation like that like it would make sense that it would be somebody who has a mortis god's energy in her <laughs> there's no not creepy way to say that but you guys know what yep, i mean so- <laughs>
2: It is kind of one of those sentences you never really think about how ridiculous it is until you have to say it out loud. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Continue.
1: No, that, I mean, that's my point. So, like, I don't know if she needs, like, I don't think she's accessing it willingly. I think it's an Ezra in early Rebels where he doesn't, she knows she's in the world between worlds because she's gone there before, but Ezra's accessing the world between worlds in those early seasons of Rebels when he's talking with Yoda without realizing it yet. And he, it's not like he is willingly going there. It is the Force opening that door for him, for him to learn you know, the lesson and be able to communicate with Yoda because that's what he needs to help do his part in bringing balance to the Force and to the galaxy. And I think Ahsoka, he, you know, having the daughter within her, it, it's not a stretch to think that she would be able to be pulled into a similar experience.
2: So do you think then that someone but we won't don't have to speculate on who pulled her into it the same way Ezra pulled her through it before? No, I don't. Okay, why?
1: Because I think it's it's very much for me like how I think about the appearance of Force ghosts where the Force allows it when the character needs it most. So Obi-Wan is not able to see Qui-Gon until the end of the series because he wasn't ready for it and when he needs it most is when he's willing to take up the Jedi path again in a very real way Uh, and same thing here for Ahsoka in order to come to terms with training Sabine which she's going to need to figure out because Sabine is starting to make some very poor choices (laughs) the force needs to allow her to, to speak to Anakin and this is the means through which she's able to do it
2: oh okay i mean i understand your logic train with it i get that but that kind of it's just so wishy-washy kind of i i d- right like the next five minutes of this show are going to be the most critical five minutes so far because if it's anakin departing what knowledge and wisdom he has on training say hey look you're about to make the same mistakes i made and that's what to you being kicked out or you left the order or whatever I mean, I can understand that, but this is not the vehicle to do it by. Like, we've got the whole concept of Force Ghosts already established. Like, I just don't understand what we're doing here, and the potential for things to get completely lost in the whole context of what the World Between Worlds really is and does and is is active and for, just gets completely lost and overshadowed by what the story wants to actually do.
1: There's... A lot of validity to what you said. You guys said about the the next few minutes is going to determine a lot because I, we could come back, you know, on our next episode. And I'm eating a lot of crow because they had, you know, Anakin coming into the world between worlds from Christophsis and Ahsoka's like, "Hey, you're gonna, you know, kill your wife, and you probably shouldn't do that." And he's like, "Nah, I'm gonna go do it anyways." Like that would be not great to say the least. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I did. I, I made I made a mistake today by by googling certain things to kind of look them up ahead of time, and I saw that there was a rumor before Ahsoka started where Ahsoka would meet up with Anakin, but it was gonna be, she would travel through the world between worlds back to the fight on Mustafar, and she was gonna rewrite the fight with Anakin and Obi Wan somehow. I was like this is exactly what I don't want to have happen. Yeah, no, no. Please Please no.
1: That, that would no. be top five ways to ruin this thing. Oh, um, yeah. Even I couldn't get behind that. And let's be so, honest, I'm biased.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so if all of us agree that like, we're kind of in this this, this, this is kind of the last little bit of this major bone of contention that I have. If we're all kind of in the same boat of like the next five minutes are critical, like how they move forward, what we learn next is going to, has the potential to make or break, Right. Don't you guys feel like we had that exact same feeling at the end of one and two here? Like, we're all kind of like, yeah, let's just see what we learn in the next episode. Let's see if they answer any of these questions. We're having the same responses. We're having the exact same thing of like, gee, I'd really like to know more about this thing, but I don't
0: know that we're going to get
2: it. Gee, I'd really like to know what happens with the world between worlds. I hope it happens in the next episode. Does anyone else get tired of that, though?
0: Oh, yeah. There's way too too much mystery boxing in the show. Oh, yeah.
2: Thank you. Was anyone else uh wildly shocked when Merrick got sliced in half and just burst into a big pile of black ash?
1: yeah, I want to know more about that. I have heard a theory what the heck <laughs> that it's night sister magic because the ash that comes out of him looks very much like uh what comes out of ahsoka like when she touches the map um what that yeah. Like, oh, when she touches gosh. the map, there's, like, an ashiness that comes out of the map, you know, because... Uh, she also
2: gets physically burned, though, too. Yes. I just thought that was, like, her gloves or
1: Yeah, something. that's that's what or I thought. Going. I don't... I mean, I, there's no canonicity behind it. I don't know if it's true or not, or even if we'll get an answer. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I was like, hmm, I want to know more about that.
2: There's, it was very, like, obvious that we were meant to question it because of how, like... They showed us so much of that death rattle. It was like, whoa, okay, this gets dark.
0: (laughs) I I just want to believe he's like Orbalin species. Like he's just a (laughs) gas (gasps) being. No, that would be amazing. Cause there's another in Tales of the Jedi, the inquisitor that she kills there, she decapitates him and then his head deflates. So there's at least two inquisitors who are non solid objects. I do not remember his head deflating. His head def- go watch that episode. She decapitates him, and his head deflates. There are two gaseous smoke beings who end up in the Inquisitorius. Oh, <laughs> uh, they're trying to meet their quotas.
2: I had, I had no. I had, I have blocked that out of my memory. So this may have happened at least once before, huh? What if it's the yeah. same guy? They just keep resurrecting
0: <laughs> like, with <laughs> brain. Yeah, he just Cashing keeps finding a new ad- suit. Maybe. It they just, maybe. They
1: keep going into the world between worlds and pulling out different inquisitors. Oh, <laughs> so no, I, I definitely think that the the show is giving us a lot of questions. I think one thing that star Wars has always done well has been when it gives us the answer to something, it it gets us to ask a lot more questions. I think the difference here is this is just getting us to ask a lot of questions and hasn't provided any answers that said like we just finished the first half of of the season mm-hmm. or the true, series true. so there's a lot of potential on that falling action side of things to give answers to those questions my big question would be do we have enough time to do so and advance the story forward so yeah i i definitely think there's some validity in that concern um but I am not concerned about it yet, just because of where we're at. When we record next time, and we're on episode six, and we still have this many or more questions and no answers to any of them, then like it's going to be a serious problem. Because otherwise, seven and eight is just going to be exposition of of oh, and then Merrick was actually, and it's just going <laughs> it, to it, it'll it'll be bad. It'll be bad. Um, so yeah, there's. And there's still so much they have to do. Like we've got to travel to this other galaxy. We've got to find Ezra and Thrawn. We've got to yeah, do all these we're other things. We've still
2: got to find the other two main characters
1: in this story,
2: and figure figure out what we're going to do with them.
1: I think we're not getting them until the seventh episode at the earliest. But I honestly think we're going to get it in the eighth episode. And
2: yeah, it's probably going to be like that. You'll see, like they'll they'll turn their backs and you'll reveal the camera to the reveal the face to camera like the end of season seven credits hit and then you wait a week and then it's like oh you've got 15 minutes uh and here's what we're gonna do
1: i said before and i i still think that this is true is that this is as much as it is you know about these characters and stuff it's a setup series uh to set up the next phase of this mandoverse that they've got going on uh I don't know what that's going to look like because I also I don't foresee like Sabine coming into the Mandalorian series and being a major piece in that. Um, maybe a cameo here and there. So I don't know exactly what they're doing and I think that's the that's one of the challenging things about this series is what are they doing other than
0: going and getting Thrawn <laughs> and Ezra. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, you mean <laughs> we don't know like hardly anyone's motivations? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> I get Sabine's motivation to our
0: side. He doesn't even know
1: it yet. <laughs> no, no, no. I definitely think there's some there's some very valid critiques of the show thus far. Like as much as I love it and I'm rating it very highly, like there's nothing is without critique. And I get, I get Ahsoka's motivation at the the basic level. Sabine's motivation and Hera's motivation is very visceral to me. But beyond that, I have a lot of questions. Like, why is Morgan Elizabeth just going after power? Like, what does Shin want other than to, you know, just be cool looking? Uh, Balin, I still have a ton of questions about what he really wants because I still I still hold that he's got something else going on that he's doing. Uh, I, d- I don't think we've even started to scratch the surface with what he's really trying to accomplish. Um So, yeah, no, there's there's definitely a lot of questions going on in the show. So with that in mind, let's let's move out of the world between worlds and everything and and actually go back to the beginning of the episode, because in the beginning, we get that conversation between uh, Ahsoka and Sabine and... Ahsoka says, "If we can't make the journey to Ezra, no one should."
2: Mm, yeah, yeah.
1: That shook me.
2: That felt really uncomfortable. Like, yeah, I'm not sure that fits with her character. Like, but I that think really? that's the point. Really? I do. I
1: think it's supposed to shake us out of who we know Ahsoka to be, and go, "What's really going on with her?" Like, she's really rattled by this situation.
2: I don't know about that. I, uh, perhaps, but it didn't land that way to me. But I'm not really sure how else to describe it because you're right. It's it doesn't feel right. You know, it's like wait a minute. If so, what's the line again? Can you, you had because I had something like this in my notes, but I don't have the words to it. If we can't make line. the journey to Ezra, no one should. Okay, like that's kind of backwards though because the goal is Was to stop them from stop the bad guys From getting the map to Thrawn. So Ahsoka not really in it for Ezra at all Is what that tells
0: me that is something that I've been thinking about since really the show began and it premiered you know like Again, if we go back to the Rebels monologue, the show ends like Ezra's out there and it's time to bring him home. And you said like, oh, the big hunt for Ezra. Like Ezra is at most a secondary priority here. This is all really about Thrawn.
2: He's not even on the list. Like she is ready to throw him completely out the window saying that she's not she's already made that decision like in her mind with that line. And she just wants Sabine to be aware of that. If I get a chance to destroy this map, I'm destroying it the first chance I get. That's very different from, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to help you rescue your space brother.
1: But she never really claimed that her priority was getting Ezra. It's always been Sabine's priority, which is why Sabine makes the choice that she does at the end, like why she's not willing to break that map. And we don't see Sabine agree with her. She says it's not going to come to that or something of that nature, like... Sabine is the one here for Ezra. Hera is the one here for Ezra. Ahsoka's been about stopping Thrawn the whole time and making sure Thrawn doesn't get back to to the Star Wars galaxy uh from from <laughs> this Peridia planet or galaxy that he's at. So I don't I, I I think it's out of character in an in-character way because I think she's speaking to sabine and she's telling her like if i have to make the choice between not letting thrawn back here and bringing ezra back here like i'm going to
0: make the choice that is going to hurt you but is best for everybody else which in fairness to ahsoka i think there is an evidence to say that it is somewhat in character because if you go back to the world between worlds and rebels there's the moment where ezra looks through the portal and he sees canaan he's like i want to go rescue him and, and he's just like no like if you do that you all die so she knows that like it, ezra wants like to have his master back which is like if you get what you want it's everybody's worse off you're all gone and so like the the kind of greater good means you have to just let him go
1: but I think the difference, I, I, I agree with you, but I think the difference here is that Ahsoka is doing that as the final step. Like, that is the, the lesson that Ezra needs to learn. It's the last step that she needs to take is is getting him to understand that. Whereas here, she's pre-planning ahead that like she's going to make that sacrifice if she has to. Whereas the Ahsoka we see in... Rebels, early Rebels and Clone Wars is someone who is very much like Anakin. She's going to do whatever she can to, you know, help and protect her friends. Like she has those relationships and those attachments that are healthy and and she's not willing to accept an answer that has a ton of losses. And that's so that's the difference Mm. for me there is it seems through all of what Ahsoka has gone through. She has changed in this significant way. That's really wounded her and and forced her to go to a place where she tries, you know, to balance the scales instead of just doing what she actually believes in for the people that she cares about.
2: I think I'm struggling with it because it seems to be a position that, kind of like Devor, like you're saying, she was taking that kind of approach of, you know this needs to happen in order to, for the greater good, essentially, right? Um, You can't have Kanan back because it's going to doom everything else. It's kind of the greater good. Um, Same concept here. You can't guarantee that we're, I can't guarantee you we're going to get Ezra back because my the number one goal is to stop Thrawn from returning. It's absolutely the position that the character of the mentor would have to the main character. But she is now the main character of this story. Like, the show's named after her, right? So, to me, what it says is there's a possibility she's going to learn that this position she's taking, sacrificing the potential of returning Ezra in order to make sure that Thrawn doesn't return, is the wrong position to have, and she should actually be working on rescuing Ezra, and if she gets to stop Thrawn, that's... Great, but that's not the ultimate, that's not the greater good. And it kind of ties into the Last Jedi approach of not fighting what you hate, but rather saving what you love. So that's kind of like, because uh, from a very like structural outline perspective, right at the midpoint, we should be seeing that kind of like balance point where she, her previously held, you know, her preconceptions and her notions of, of right and wrong are challenged and thrown into chaos. And ultimately, The end of the story is a resolution of that. Nine times out of ten, it's going to be a change in the character where they see, ah, the way I went into this story was wrong, and now I am the better person for it. So her current position of Ezra's not as important as stopping the war from coming is going to flip around. So if you're going to say, what does episode eight of this series look like? It probably looks like letting Thrawn escape, guaranteeing Ezra's safety, a return back to their galaxy far, far away, and probably something like Harris New Republic Fleet is there to save the day. That's kind of what, if you're going to say, what does that last episode outline look like? I, Those are the bullet points I would expect to see. But it's, uh, what a weird way to introduce that though. Like, I'm not really sure there's, it's 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 just super, I don't know. It It's weird because it does just feel uncomfortable for a position to be in for the person we're supposed to root for. Because we won't, this show is sabine's a way more interesting main character than why isn't this show called correct sabine? <laughs> correct yeah because i think there's correct.
1: A, i think there's a sabine show coming
2: S- sabine a star wars story like yeah. come on it's right there in the name sabine and chopper a star wars story
1: no it's, it's jason and work. chopper a star wars story just okay. like th- them uh, causing trouble some- on the New Republic ships, getting into all kinds of shenanigans.
2: It'd you think that's what Skeleton Crew is going to be? Yeah, right, obviously. I understand. Yeah. Okay, now Duh. on board.
1: Yeah, Jude Law is Jason Syndulla. <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys not catch these things? You're um, so
2: much smarter than us. I know, really. I love it so much. No, Are so- we going to change gears a little bit, or do you have more on that one still? Well, I
1: just one final thing on that is I think that... That notion by Ahsoka of being willing to sacrifice Ezra to prevent Thrawn from coming is what pushes Sabine to make the decision she does to go willingly with Balin because she has somebody who is telling her she's not going to get what she wants and somebody who's telling her she can get what she wants and neither of them are letting that happen in the way that she wants it to happen. And so she chooses the lesser of the two evils. And I think that that's something that Ahsoka is going to have to come to terms with and face. And maybe that happens through her conversation with Anakin and whatever happens there, where she realizes like, not that Sabine is not responsible for her own actions, but that Ahsoka played a part in her giving the map to them and going with them because she was willing to, like you said, you know, fight what she hates instead of saving what she loves. And so I think that I don't think that this is a problem that's going to be left unresolved in any way, shape, or form in this series <laughs> itself. So, well, that's what
2: essentially the main action point of the series one of those two things is going to happen, right? Thrawn returns or Ezra does, but. We don't know the context thereof. So why are you the saying one in? of
1: those two things? Why 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 not both of those things?
2: I would say at least one of those things. Okay, how about okay. that? They're not mutually exclusive, but I don't think it's going to be zero of them because otherwise, why would you cast an actor for both of those roles? Yeah,
1: and um, create you know black series figures of Ezra and everything.
2: Yeah, you know that's a really good point. Yeah, uh, where's my high republic black series figures? Just had to get that out there.
1: Dude, there's so much High Republic stuff they could have done that they just haven't. Yeah, know. I'm disappointed. Like, why very do we sad. not have a High Republic soundtrack? There's exactly zero reasons why that's not a thing. Wow. Yeah, now I'm offended. Like, you have an Avar theme, you have a Stellan theme, you have an Elzar theme,
2: you have a Trio theme. It's all Avar theme if you think about it. That I mean, it really,
1: really is. It really <laughs> is. It's going to be very sad uh, when according she dies. to
2: Devor, according to DeVore, um, all of Afar's music would be performed by Taylor Swift. Yeah.
1: Aren't they one in the same? If you listened to that episode, you would know that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting caught up. I'm getting caught up. Um, so let's move to to Hera and, and what she's got going on in mm-hmm. uh, across these two episodes, but particularly in this fourth episode. One, starting with the fact that she's, she's being a rebel. Like she is, is doing hair things. I just, again, I want to reiterate the casting is, is just on point And it feels like that character is coming directly off of, of the screen onto our television, you know, uh, from the animated rather into, to live action. So that's just perfect for me. And the, the Phoenix leader reference uh, was, was cool. really good. Yeah. And, I mean, it might not be the best parenting in our galaxy, but as far as the story goes, I like the fact that she's got Jason there with her. I like the potential that that opens up, as far as um, having another thing that could be in danger. Having another character who has a hard choice that they have to make. Um, I don't think Jason's going to die, but I do think you know he's going to be put in peril, and Hera's going to have to make a hard choice. Uh, and then there's the the potential of. Ezra and Jason meeting and I think they did a great casting of uh, Jason Sinjula to look much more like Kanan in, in live action than in the animated version of him. So yeah, I just, oh, yeah. I, I really am loving what they do, what they're doing with Hera's side of this story.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I thought that was particularly great when she absconds with um, the ghost and a couple, you know, couple bunches x-wings to go along with her that was pretty cool really kind of surprised they didn't go for an alphabet squadron reference at that point like I really oh
0: yeah that would have been nice that would have been cool
2: one of those guys you know you know will lark hasn't hung up his racing stripes or something i don't know what yet his flight jacket perhaps he's out there flying around still at this point right i, I mean, would think so yeah, yeah. we did get Carson teva so there's that which was fun glad to see yeah. Yeah. he's still on board
1: I feel like they, like, since they canceled the Rangers of the New Republic series, they're like, look, man, we're going to make it up to you. We're going to get you in everything. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Um... It was really cool to see uh,
2: the Eye of Scion jump over. Yep. I was just gonna say, it was kind of like, neat to see them kind of get caught in the the wash of that as it happened, and, and yeah, wing spinning out of control. That was that was like, oh wow, okay, there's there's some cost to this. That was nice.
1: That goes to the the thing you were talking about before, Drew, about like break the rules and, and tell us something new. Because we've seen lots of hyperspace jumps, we've seen different versions of it, we've seen you know. Uh, in Rebels, Hera, you know, getting the two Star Destroyers to catch uh, Vader in the tractor beams while she jumps. We've seen her jump through the innards of ships. You know, uh, we've seen the Haldo maneuver. We've seen all of these mm-hmm. cool things. Um, but they, I think they really took advantage of, okay, we've got this circular shape of a ship. You know, like, what can we do yeah. new with that?
2: That serves a story. The hollow portion in the middle, like, what happens when something jumps in hyperspace around you like is is an
0: interesting yeah yeah that's really cool thing.
2: yeah and that was it was very impressive to actually watch that kind of unfold how it's you know they get kind of caught in the stars as they s- streak out and then they uh, that was that was an interesting way to do that i like that that's why this episode got at least a 1 at least a 1
1: <laughs> all right so here's here's a question i have for you guys because i feel like and, and this is true for a lot of Star Wars and IP-type products nowadays where your heroes have too much plot armor. In episode three, it felt like that with the the space battle. It was like, you've got all of these ships, and all they can do is kind of mm-hmm. knock the ship okay. out of commission yeah. a little bit. right. right? right. And... Then here with uh, the hyperspace jump, like as much as I loved it and everything, it's like, okay, obviously the two characters that we know are the two characters that survive. I think there's like a, another <laughs> X-Wing or something.
2: Some red shirt sensitivities going on here.
1: Yeah, and and I get that that's a part of storytelling, but I also, and I'm not a, I'm not a proponent of somebody has to die for there to be stakes. I don't like that I approach to storytelling. But I do kind of feel like in this contained little story that we have that it's we might need somebody to die to increase the stakes and make it so that it's you actually feel like these characters are in peril because the rest of the the story thus far has has said like they've got that plot armor on them until at least mm. we get to episode eight. so. I'm still kind of wrestling with my feelings there because I obviously don't want any of these characters that I love to die and not be able to have stories going forward. But I also want there to be a real threat and danger. And I feel like there is now for the bad guys because they killed Merrick. So it's like, all right, cool. We got one of them. Like, who's going to go next? Like, do we need... Do you guys feel like we need someone to die to increase the the risk and the cost that we have going forward in the series
0: my inclination is no and i think mainly my inclination to that is sort of the react the same sort of reaction brand that you have is like that that kind of instinctual reaction against the notion that like stakes equals death or death equals stakes like i think about how like you know you watch the prequels Or, you know, you watch the Siege of Mandalore and you know Ahsoka and Rex are getting out of there because they have to. They're in Rebels. You know that Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan is going to make it through because he's in a new hope. He has to. Like, you know where these characters are going to end up. It's really like it's much like the weight comes from the journey rather than the destination. Like it comes from like one, you know, this episode actually gives it like a great example. like you you have that moment about you know Sabine holding on to the map and she's trying to you know do the calculus and figure out does she hand it over to Balin or not and then making that decision. like that's a way that you can create tension and stakes is like yeah. you put these characters in difficult situations where like maybe they have to compromise their values like that's a way that you can do it like in a way that like you have inner struggles or like inner struggles that then lead to you know conflict with other characters that doesn't necessarily involve like someone has to be on the chop
2: yeah like no one is hunting ahsoka and sabine no one's after our heroes you know if you think about something you know Brandon's death equals stakes or you know threat or fear of of safety is kind of what raises the stakes um they're not under any real threat here it's all preventative action where they're trying to stop the greater thing you know the bad guys are the ones with the plan and the good guys are trying to interrupt the plan so if anything you know it's Elsbeth and Balin and shin who have the largest specter of death hanging over them because people are actively trying to stop them from accomplishing their goal you know the reason you're afraid for Frodo and Sam as they make their way through Middle Earth is because you know that the Eye of Sauron is always looking for them and the Nazgul are hunting them and they're always under this constant threat of around the next tree or bra or rock could be the fatal blow here we don't have that because again our heroes just aren't under attack they're the ones trying to interrupt the plot here um, you know, even an empire. Empire is basically boils down to Vader hunts Luke across the galaxy. So he thinks they're on the Millennium Falcon. So you're afraid for Han, Leia, and Chewie. You're not really afraid for three PO um, as they fly through the asteroid belt. You you don't know if they're going to make it out because they're being hunted by the most vicious enforcer of, of the evil Galactic Empire there's ever been. So. I wouldn't expect there to be a death in order to propel characters to action or to demonstrate the level of stakes unless you get to the point where one of the heroes is specifically under threat. Like, Mm. I don't know. They jump into – what's the name of the system that they're jumping into? Peridia something? Peridium. Yeah.
1: Peridium? We don't know if it's the planet or the galaxy or the system or what.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, naming conventions for space objects in Star Wars. Not really that specific, anyway. Yeah, um, fair. And or they jump there, and like if if they jump in the middle of the scene where I don't know, Thrawn has a knife to Ezra's neck or something, and they just happen to appear at that magic moment. Like that's the only real, not the only real possibility, but the idea that there's nothing coming for our heroes. The heroes are the ones going out and creating the trouble.
1: Well, I like what you said there about how you know. The, they are the hunters, not the hunted, right now. The the, the heroes mm-hmm. are because
2: they've just, been the archer, they've been the prey. <laughs> right now, they're the archers.
1: In most Star Wars so stories, good at this. I, am I know you so really, really are. Yeah. <laughs> you, start. you know, what, you know what we need is a Star Wars Taylor Swift podcast.
2: Be great, wouldn't it? If there were only there was one, we could all be on. <laughs> devore wants to quit so i know different.
1: i know he's like i'm not going to subject my wife to that what
2: have what have i done go
1: listen to space swifties folks go listen to space swifties yes please do
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> subscribe most Next of the star wars stories that we get are the the heroes being hunted and it, whether it's them hunting leia with the death star plans whether it is them hunting down the Mandalorians to try to end that threat. Like, we always have the bad guys hunting down the good guys. And so, this is, in a way, kind of flipping Star Wars on its head in having the heroes be the ones who are hunting and trying to prevent the villains from executing their plan. Because even in the prequels, mm-hmm. even though, you know, they are fighting in this war and they know the Sith are out there, the Jedi aren't really hunting actively for the Sith. They're kind of waiting and hoping that it just appears when maybe they should be doing something a little more active about it. But it's <laughs> interesting to think about it from that flipped perspective of we're we're having the heroes on the hunt rather than being the prey, as, as you said. So yeah. that's fascinating. So... I guess last thing just to, to touch on quickly is what is like if you could have one question that you have answered in whether it's in episode five or just later in the series, what's like one outstanding question each of you has that you really want answered that will either uh, make these episodes better or just overall you feel like is important to the, the series?
2: Oh wow, that is tough. We only get one.
1: Just one. Yeah. Just, Just one.
2: one. I don't know, Brandon, do you have one off the top I, of her I her do. I do. I mean, for me think the think big it? thing
1: for me the big thing is uh what are Ahsoka and Anakin going to talk about? Um and layered within that is like what version of Anakin are we getting? So that's the the big question for me because I think that's going to really be the Pardon the pun, but the fulcrum upon which the God. character of Ahsoka turns—I I couldn't think of another word. It wasn't intentional. It was—it was a bad fine.
2: pun. It's fine.
1: I am who I, I am. Um, so yeah, Jedi. God, that's that's the that's the thing that it all turns
2: on for me, if you will. See, it's a double entendre because it's not just about not somebody who was once a jedi but it's also a jedi who falls off a cliff ah yep gotcha literature it's great (laughs) so
1: Devor, do you have a a question that is a burning question you want answered by the
0: series i do i mean there's a couple but i think the big one in terms of like just the the series as a whole and i'll 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 set up this question by referencing, I think, a scene that I th- that I think about in this context, which is in the Last Jedi, early on on October, uh, early on with Ray and Luke. There's a moment where I think they're in the tree, and Luke asks her like, "Why have you come, Ray, from nowhere?" Mm. And then she starts talking about like, "Well, the Resistance sent me. The First Order is getting stronger, and everything." And he's like, "No, why are you here?" And then she gives kind of the personal, about, like something's awakened, and I like, and I'm I'm afraid, and all that. And I think that's the thing that I want to know in the context of Ahsoka, like Ahsoka, why are you doing this? And I think so far the the show has given us the equivalent of Ray's first answer, like like Thrawn might be coming back, and he's bad news for the galaxy. But like, I want to, like, why you, like why does it have to be you like why is it you why are you committed to this i want that ne- that that second answer to the mm. question i want that deeper personal character connection to this bigger thing beyond just the kind of abstract galactic stakes we don't want another war etc cetera, etc cetera, which is all we've really gotten so far that's a good one
2: yeah can i just car you know copy and paste that because that's way more interesting than anything i was thinking of cuz really everything else is wrapped up kind of in that you know her relationship with Sabine and Hera's involvement cuz she's the one who kind of got the two of them to come back together again and all the different characters are connected through her and so we need to figure out what it is that she's bringing to this Yeah it's a good good Soul. question
1: hopefully we'll get yeah. some answers also <laughs> two last jedi references in this episode just kind. throwing that out there Last Jedi is a good movie. It's a good movie.
2: What what uh, what are the two references you're gonna go with?
1: No, I'm saying we had two references in the show. Oh, oh
2: we already had them. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep, so yep, yep. watch the Last okay. Jedi, people. It's a
1: good movie. So before we we close out, we've got to give our our ratings, uh, our new ratings, and I'm praying to God Drew can't go lower than a one out of five. So Drew. <laughs> I'm going to let you go first again.
2: Um, I. How about I, I, I'll see that, and I'll, I'll raise my first. How about episode three can go from a, a three out of five to like three and a quarter? How about that? Is that okay? Are we allowed to move in quarter increments? or is You that know what? For specific? you, Drew, I'll allow it. Okay, good, because I'm not moving on episode four at all. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I'll take what I can get. We'll see what happens next week.
1: So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep episode three at a four out of five. I still have the same issues that I had. Uh, and I still love the parts that I love. I'm going to keep Fallen Jedi at a, a five out of five, but I am going to make it a, a shakier five out of five <laughs> than it was before.
2: Um, what, what if you made it a five out of six?
1: I could do that. Just take it into the world between worlds and do whatever I want with it. I mean,
2: what is math anyway? <laughs> <laughs> That's all made up.
1: I think my, my rating for that could be lowered uh, if the answers we get in episode five are, are unsatisfying or unsatisfactory, then it would drop that score a little bit. But thus far, I'm optimistic, so I'm going to keep it the, the same. Devor, what about you?
0: I think I'm also going to keep my scores the same with the asterisk as we've kind of talked about in this conversation that a lot is riding on what is coming next you know, in the immediate next episode and then even beyond for the rest of the season. Like it could, you know, we could look back at the very end of this or even, you know, as soon as the next recording when we talk about five and six and I could look back and be like, you know what? I had the worries about that world between world stuff like that didn't pan out. Like and then that might you know bump it up a little bit more or like it could confirm some of those worries and then it stays the same or goes down. So it's like I'm going to keep it where it is. But like there's potentially a lot of volatility
1: yeah, and I definitely think the the scoring of these are gonna become a lot uh, harsher as we get into the later episodes because we're gonna need some answers Ooh, to a, a lot point. of questions. So Ooh,
2: that's a good point.
1: Make sure you're subscribed uh, to the network and you can get all of our episodes talking about that. Uh, we have uh, Mark's review of episodes one and two if you want to go back and catch up on that uh, over on Forever Star Wars. Uh, Zach and Lindsay are always putting out great content. Lindsay and I are working on getting more Don't Burn the Sacred Text out. Uh, if you have read Inquisitor, Rise of the Red Blade, we've got a review of that out. If you hadn't, haven't, read that freaking book. It is yes mm, amazing. Go read it. It's yeah. amazing. Um, So make sure you go do that and uh, just be a part of what we've got going on here. Let other people know about us. Uh, We've got a bunch of new listeners coming in, so welcome to everybody here. We're glad you're here. Uh, Go over to wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us some ratings and reviews so other people can find us, and we can just uh, continue on agreeing about everything about Star Wars and how (laughs) wonderful it is because that's what we do here. Uh, Drew, if they want to tell you how great your opinions are... He said, calling. while rolling his <laughs> eyes, uh, "Where can they do that?
2: Uh, you can find me on the, our Facebook page, Star Wars Clashing Sabers. That's where I will be haunting." And uh, well, I was just looked at one of the posts where uh, Brandon you had said on a scale of one to ten, "What do you rate a circus fourth episode, Fallen Jedi?" And the number, the comments read like this: nine, nine, eight point five, ten, eight or nine, nine, ten, ten, ten. I'm really scared to put a one in there for my vote. <laughs> Like oh. one and no my zero button's not broken please do i would love to see the conversation
1: oh. there hey yeah. everybody we've got in that group is really a, a lot of fun and everybody loves having a good conversation it is so a good
2: group of people i'm very proud of everybody for being you know civil and courteous and i, I can't wait to break that
1: <laughs> oh. all right
0: so while the, drew is causing
1: chaos devore where can people find you
0: all right, you can still find me over on Twitter slash X uh, at a larger view pod, and as we've referenced a couple of times in the show, you can also listen to the podcast that I co-host with my wife, the one and only McDowell, called Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast. Awesome, and uh, guys,
1: I just thought of something that could bring together everything, answer all of our questions in the world between worlds. Ahsoka goes. Forward in time. Oh, no. To that elevator. <laughs> and meets Batch 8. Hi-ho. Hi-ho. Be pretty dope. If, if just like all of a sudden we get a special edition oh, 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 of oh, oh, The Last yeah. Jedi and Ahsoka standing right next to Finn.
2: It's just a stormtrooper helmet with the the tails coming out of the <laughs> yeah. top of it. No,
1: no. It's a stormtrooper helmet with the tails, like, perfectly shaped in it. Oh, that's true. <laughs> They've made yeah, a custom one. <laughs>